Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Thank you very much for joining me today and for uh, continuing in your role as a ministry leader. These are challenging times, and I'm delighted that you have chosen to hang in there no matter how hard it is and to uh, fulfill the responsibility that God has given you. Now today, I want to talk about planning for the future. Uh, The pandemic has rocked our churches and ministry organizations. We've all been significantly impacted by what's happened to us over the year of 2020. And for some, uh, their primary response is longing for things to, quote, get back to normal. Well, newsflash, that's not happening. You are never going back to normal. Uh, You are never going back to your former operational practices to your former methods, uh, to your former schedules, to your former budget allocation uh, processes, uh, you're not going back to normal. Uh, Instead, if you're thinking more about the future, you should be thinking about how to get to what I'll call a new normal. Not the old normal, but a new normal. You're going to move toward the future. And the only choice you really have is whether you allow the future to happen to you or you try to proactively shape what I call a preferred future. Now, one way to facilitate thinking and planning for the future is to use diagnostic questions. A number of years ago, reading a leadership book, I came across this statement, which has been a quote sort of burned into my mind now for these years. The statement said this, the person who asks the questions has control of the conversation. Now, you might say that sort of of sounds negative, trying to control the conversation, but that's really not the tenor of the book that I was reading or the, the, the idea the author was trying to communicate. The point was the person who's asking the questions is setting the direction for the future and setting the parameters for the discussion of what needs to take place going forward. That's what he meant by control. But that statement riveted in my mind. The person who asks the questions has control of the conversation. And so I shifted some of my meeting, uh, meeting, leading, planning uh, from going to meetings to tell people what to do to instead having meetings with people that invited dialogue and asks, asked probing questions that helped people to work on or process through the problems we were facing together. I learned to ask good diagnostic questions. Now, as you're thinking about planning for 2021 and uh, finalizing your budget plans, particularly for next year, and as as you're even thinking about beyond that, uh, you're no doubt trying to figure out how can I get my hand on doing that planning process more effectively and how can I engage people that I'm working with in leadership uh, to, to, make, to engage that planning process with me? And I think you can do that best, not by calling a meeting and telling them what to think, but instead by using diagnostic questions to stimulate discussion and to guide decision-making. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to give you a set of diagnostic questions that we're using here at Gateway that are helping us to uh, concretize our plans, if you will, for our new normal as we think about uh, budget planning for for 21-22, the next academic year following this one. 
Now these diagnostic questions can be used in two ways. First, uh, you can use them in private reflection. You can set aside some time to pray and think and write your ideas as you observe your organization, uh, as you discern ways it's been impacted by the pandemic, and as you envision or dream of new ways that you can more effectively accomplish your mission. So one of the ways to use these diagnostic questions is in private reflection. Prayer, thinking, writing. Now, there's several ways to go about that, but really you need to choose the way that fits your leadership style the best. Some people like to uh, do this early in the mornings and set aside some time each day for this kind of reflective thinking, praying, and writing. Others find it more effective to go away for a weekend or for a day-long retreat uh, to do this process in a more private setting. Uh, some people need to do it uh, in a place where there's some activity going on that sort of stimulates their mind, like a coffee shop or a public location. But others need to go away to a secluded spot, like to a beach or a mountain cabin. It doesn't really matter to me how you do it. But you know your work style the best. You know your leadership style the best. You know your personal way of processing information the best. But use your best effort, your best time, your best location for this kind of process. So pray, think, and write your ideas about your organization and ways it can, uh, it can respond uh, based on these diagnostic questions I'm going to give you in just a moment. Then second, you can also use these questions with your leadership team. In the case of Gateway, uh, I have a team of vice presidents that form our executive leadership team, and we meet weekly uh, to just keep ahead of the game of leading and guiding the seminary as it moves forward. Uh, but from time to time, we set aside special time to think about and reflect on uh, what's going on here at the seminary in a longer-term format, and we'll do that in the next few weeks. And when we do that, we'll use these diagnostic questions to really think about and guide us as, as we go forward. Uh, you have uh, a group of elders or a group of deacons. Uh, you have a leadership council in your church, or maybe you're in an organization like I am, and you have a, a cabinet or an a leadership team, or you have a departmental team. But you have a group that you work with on a regular basis that, that, that is the leaders that are recognized in the ministry you're, you're uh, responsible for. So get that team together and use these diagnostic questions as a group activity. Uh, give them to them, give the questions to them in advance and ask them to work on them privately just as you have done. But then to be prepared to come together to discuss them. Now, I, I've learned over the years that these kinds of uh, discussions I have a couple of predictable responses. First, you're going to hear a lot of fluff. Uh, let's just be honest. You're going to hear some ideas that uh, don't make a lot of sense, don't necessarily work, uh, things that were so obvious everybody thought of them. Uh, you know, you're going to hear these kinds of things, and you're going to be able to move through that part of the meeting fairly quickly. But here's the good part. The other predictable part of this kind of process is you're going to hear some things you would have never thought of on your own and some things that are going to really stimulate your thinking and cause you to say, wow, I didn't even think of that. Or, man, I never thought about doing it that way. Or, you know, that's an idea, and that might not work, but it stimulates another idea that might really work in this context or situation. And so, yes, I understand that when you have this kind of process, you're going to get back what I call the fluff. You're going to get back uh, things that everyone thought of because they're so obvious, things that uh, really aren't that helpful, things that you thought of and you, you, know, you, you already had in mind, uh, you're going to get all that. 
you got to move through that stuff fairly quickly. That doesn't invalidate the importance of it, though, because it helps you to even uh, feel like you're all in it together and you're all seeing things a, a kind of a similar way. But what you're really looking for are those few ideas that come out of this process that really do make a difference as you move forward in the future. So here's what we've said so far. We're all uh, impacted by the pandemic and all the other things that have gone on in 2020. We can't spend our, our time longing for the old normal. We gotta proactively move our organizations, our churches toward a new normal. And you can do that best, I think, by using diagnostic questions. Not to control the conversation in a sense that you're only going to allow certain things to be discussed, but to control the conversation in the sense that you are directing it in such a way that it drives you forward to the future and you are going the direction you need to go and you're profitably using your time to think more about the future than about the present or the past. So, what are these diagnostic questions? Well, there's four of them, uh, and two of them have a sub-question or a follow-up question that grows out of the original question, so six in total. So let's work through them together, and I'll talk about each one and why they're important. The first question is this. What have we stopped doing that does not need to come back? What have we stopped doing that does not need to come back? Now, one of the easiest things to do in a church or ministry organization is start something new. One of the hardest things is to end something when it no longer has any effectiveness. The pandemic has created the opportunity to stop doing many things. It's forced us to stop doing many activities, many meetings. It's forced us to stop spending money on certain projects or certain uh, uh, people or, or certain processes. The pandemic has forced us to stop doing things a certain way. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that your solution for the future is to go back to doing all those things that you were doing before. Some of those things that have been stopped don't need to come back. Now, how do you determine what needs to come back and what doesn't? Well, go back to your mission. What have you stopped that when you look at its loss, you see a direct impact on your mission? But what have you stopped that when you look at it, you have to honestly say, did anybody even notice we weren't doing that anymore? Does anybody really miss it? Do we really need to go there? Do we really need to reclaim something that quite honestly, as we look at it, wasn't producing that much impact as relates to our mission? Now this is hard to admit, but there's some things that we've been doing in ministry leadership and in ministry organizations and in churches that quite frankly are just spiritual busy work. They really weren't accomplishing the mission that God has given us. Now, the pandemic and all the other things we've been through in 2020 have forced us to stop doing these things. Don't automatically go back. Ask the question, what have we stopped doing that does not need to come back? Identify those things and make the intentional choice to say, we are not going back to that program. We're not going back to that meeting. We're not going back to that schedule. We're not going back to that budget expenditure line item. We're not going back there because those things proved to not be essential to our mission, and we're going to move on from them. Now, you don't have to give a lot of reasons for that. If it doesn't fulfill the mission, it simply doesn't fulfill the mission. But you might be looking at things like 
Uh, is this an archaic program? Is it something that, uh, that has a legacy that really has exhausted itself? It, something that we have fond memories of, that it really isn't doing anything today like it should be? I mean, these are the kinds of things you want to ask yourself to help you sort out these things that don't need to come back. So the first question, what have we stopped doing that does not need to come back and then have the courage to label those things and make sure that they don't come back. You know, one of the things we're looking at here at Gateway is uh, during this pandemic, we've continued to try to recruit new students, and we've done a good job of that. We've had to do it in new and different ways. And one of the questions we're asking ourselves as we think about the future is, what old recruiting methodologies do we need to preserve? But what of those have we stopped that, quite frankly, we've learned really weren't that productive anyway, and they simply don't need to come back? So that's just one example for us. You think of the examples in your context and have the courage to stop doing those things that do not need to come back. Question number two, what have we started doing that we must continue in the future? What have we started doing that we must continue in the future? Now, you've started doing things uh, in new ways during the 2020, and you've started doing some new things that you've never done before. And so the question becomes, what have we started doing that we need to continue in the future? I'll just give you a couple of observations that I'll make uh, based on what I see happening in the churches uh, today. First of all, electronic giving is here to stay. I think that many churches shifted entirely to electronic giving during the pandemic, and uh, that's not going away. And they've got to now learn how to do that really well because electronic giving is going to be a part of our future. So that means you're going to have to rethink, what does the offering look like in a public worship service? What does training in stewardship look like when it needs to focus on and be centered on online giving? How much money do we need to invest in our technology to make sure that our online giving platforms are uh, contemporary and up-to-date and accomplishing what we want them to do and that they don't fail because that would be catastrophic for us financially? What have we started doing that needs to continue in the future? One thing that I observe is electronic giving. It's here to stay, and you've got to work hard to make sure you're able to do it really well. Here's another one. Uh, almost every church has moved into some kind of online delivery methodology during the pandemic. People who never imagined themselves being media personalities are now uh, in dark studios speaking uh, to no one except the camera and recording their messages and other things from their church for public distribution. That's not going away in the future. Now I know what some of you are thinking, oh yes it is, I want to stop this as soon as possible. I want to get back to having real church. Well, I think you should get back to having quote real church as soon as possible, but don't think that means you're going to be able to stop having a high-quality broadcast of your services, or at least of your message and uh, additional aspects of your service as appropriate, broadcast to your church family on a weekly basis. Here's why. The pandemic has convinced many people that they should always have access to their church, to their worship service, to the preached message, to the announcements and information that's distributed on a Sunday, and even to the fellowship that they can achieve through a Zoom call or something like that. People have uh, come to expect that during the pandemic, and they're going to expect it when it's over. There are still going to be people after the pandemic who work on Sundays, people who have to travel for their work, people who have sick kids, 
Uh, all kinds of reasons why people will not be able to access uh, by coming to your church building every Sunday the public worship and public ministry that you provide. They're still going to expect to be able to access that, however, after the pandemic. So I'm advocating very strongly that one of the things that many churches have started that they have to continue in the future is having an online presence or a, uh, a, a, a technology-driven presence that's available to all of their members and the community. That's just two examples. So first question, what have we stopped doing that does not need to come back? Second question, what have we started doing that we must continue in the future? Now third, how has our internal culture changed? Now this is a very important issue in organizational leadership. I've done podcasts on it in the past. I have a seminar that I lead on it, and that is building organizational culture. Well, certainly what's happened to, the, uh, to churches and to ministry organizations during the pandemic is that internal culture has been changed. It has been impacted. So, for example, here at Gateway, we have moved almost everyone that we can uh, into working remotely, most of them working from home. Now, we have some employees, of course, who can't do that. You can't be a custodian and work from home. Uh, people like that have to come to the job site, and so we recognize that. But many of our employees have been working remotely for most of this year. Now, that's had a profound impact on our culture. You know, we're a relationally uh, centered, even a relationally driven organization. Sure, we have rules and policies and procedures, but mostly we have relationships where we walk down the hall and ask someone how they're doing and we need help on a project. We go to the next floor and we tell the people in that department what, what our needs are and we talk about those needs. Uh, we like to get together for chapel. We like to get together to pray. Uh, we like to get together in meetings and not just talk about the work at hand, which is what tends to happen in electronic meetings like Zoom, but we like to talk about how our kids are doing and the funny things our grandchildren say and where we're going on vacation next year and what happened in church last Sunday. And that kind of relationship building best takes place when people are in the same vicinity, in the same context, in the same facility week by week. But our internal culture has changed. We have moved people into remote work environments and Many of them have thrived there, and we anticipate when the pandemic is over, many of them are going to ask if they can continue to work in that context, and we have to cross those bridges when we get to them. But let me tell you one very specific example of how our internal culture has changed and what we're going to have to do uh, to deal with it. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had a very unexpected death of one of our faculty members. I've talked about this on the podcast before. Uh, Dr. Lisa Hoff passed away unexpectedly early on a Monday morning. Uh, I made the announcement uh, a little later that morning that Dr. Hoff had passed away, and it was like a kick in the gut here at Gateway Seminary. <clears throat> we had people weeping at their desks. Uh, faculty had to cancel classes. Uh, in some cases, they were just too uh, overwhelmed to try to teach. It was a really challenging time. But one employee, a full-time employee, uh, came to me uh, later that first day after I'd announced Dr. Hoff's passing, and he said, uh, Dr. Orge, I don't want to be inconsiderate or, or inappropriate, but I, I need to ask you a question. I said, okay. He said, uh, I see everyone so distraught over the death of Dr. Hoff, but my question is, who was Dr. Hoff, and why is everyone so sad? And I realized that this new employee had come to work for us about the time the pandemic got started and that he has not had the opportunity to meet face-to-face -face 
most of the employees of Gateway Seminary. Now, here's an internal cultural impact. We now have not one, but I'm thinking about several employees who've come to work for us in 2020 who've never seen any other seminary employees face-to-face -face except the ones that work most closely with them in their department. Now, sure, we do Zoom and we do uh, all the things you can do in that format, but it's still not the same as getting really acquainted with people and getting to really know people. So that leads me to the second question of this, our second part of this question. How has our internal culture changed? And then the follow-up question is, how can we mitigate the negatives and accentuate the positives of those changes? One of the negatives for us has been this loss of relational connectivity and the inability to integrate new employees into our organization in really healthy ways. Now that's a negative we have to mitigate. We have to find ways to overcome the negatives that that brings with it, and we're working on those. But I also said the second part of the follow-up question is, how can we also accentuate the positives of those changes? Now, one of the positives that's happened here at Gateway is that uh, because we've been having so many electronic meetings and because of the, the technology and the, uh, and the way those meetings are conducted, they naturally are much more to the point and they're typically a lot shorter than our face-to-face -face meetings had been in the past. Now, this is a noticeable difference for us, and people have commented about it, that our meetings seem so much more efficient now. We seem to get to the point quicker. We seem to resolve things and move on. We, 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 we seem to, we're saving time. We're saving money. We're saving energy. That's a positive. So as we think about the future, how are we going to accentuate the positive? Does that mean we stop having any kind of electronic meetings and go only back to face-to-face -face meetings? It might. Probably not, however. What it more likely means is we're going to make some uh, determinations about how many face-to-face -face meetings do we need and how many uh, Zoom meetings do we need and when do we need which kind of meeting and how can we uh, maximize or how can we make that choice based on the kind of meeting we're scheduled to have and the kinds of issues we intend to resolve in that context. For example, if you're having a brainstorming session, or a meeting where you're trying to introduce new employees or something like that, you're going to want to have that face-to-face. -face. But if you're having a routine meeting where you're simply going to pull together a team or a department or a staff and say, okay, uh, let's go over the five things we're working on this week and everybody come and give a quick update and then we'll move on. Well, that, that's the kind of meeting that can be done electronically and because of both the format and the agenda, done very well in that context. So one of the positives that's going to change for us in the future is it's going to make our face-to-face -face meetings better because we've learned how to get more to directly to the point and move through the material quicker. It's going to help us to have more productive face-to-face -face meetings because we're going to reserve the face-to-face -face time for certain kinds of meetings with certain kinds of agendas and goals and outcomes. But it's going to push us to, to continue to have electronic meetings, especially the routine meetings, are the meetings that just need to process, uh, checkpoints, catch up on, it, on where we are, or something like that. So, third question, how has our internal culture changed? And then follow up, how will we mitigate the negatives and accentuate the positives of those changes? And then the final question, how has our community, or you might substitute the words mission field or market, changed? How has our community or our mission field or our market changed? You know, the world has changed because of the pandemic, and it has changed your community. It's changed the people you're trying to reach with the gospel. For us, it's changed our potential student population. It has changed the world in which we're working. 
And that leads us into the second part of this question, and that is, how will we adjust our methods accordingly? Now, don't fall into the trap of saying, well, the world has changed, and they need to get their act together so that they can come back and interface with our church on our terms. Or, man, the world has changed, and, and new students or potential students need to get with the program and figure out how to re-engage with Gateway because we're going to be just like we've always been. No, that is not the right way to think. Instead, you have to realize our community has changed, our mission field has changed, our market has changed, however you define the group or the context in which you're working. And then you have to ask yourself, how will we adjust our methods accordingly? What will we do differently in light of the pandemic and what it's done to people? For example, it has definitely changed the way that churches evangelize. Churches cannot stop evangelizing, but it's definitely changed the way we evangelize. Uh, and it changes the way that we're able to contact people, interface with people, sit down with people, all of that. So you have to change your methods to accommodate the changes in your, missions, your mission field or your market or community. And that's another kind of change you have to make going forward. So I've given you four questions and a couple of follow-ups. The first question, what have we stopped doing that does not need to come back? Second, what have we started doing that we need to continue in the future? Third, how has our internal culture changed? And as a follow-up, how can we mitigate the negatives and accentuate the positives of those changes? And then finally, how has our community or our mission field or our market changed? And how will we adjust our methods accordingly is the follow-up to that question. Now, these questions can help you in private reflection. They can help you in leadership group dialogue. I remind you that as you use these questions, you have to keep this in view. The future belongs to people who intentionally choose behaviors that are directed toward the desired outcomes. The future belongs to people who choose behaviors that will lead to desired outcomes. You cannot be passive right now as a leader. You can't say, Things are so confusing, things are so disrupted, things are so chaotic that I'm just going to sit this one out for a while and let everything settle down and then I'll start to lead again. You can't do that. You're a leader. You have to lead right now. And you have to lead by helping people to think through the issues I've raised by these diagnostic questions and then make intentional choices about the behaviors they're going to practice to get to the future they envision. Now. Intentionality is the key. But intentionality is not a guarantee of future success. I'm calling you today on this podcast to be intentional about thinking, planning, and acting toward your future. But don't make the wrong assumption that doing this guarantees your success. It doesn't. But it does guarantee your progress. You see, all of us make mistakes. But don't let the fact that you might make some mistakes in planning for this very uncertain future that we're moving toward, don't let them make the mistake of thinking that because you might make some mistakes, you shouldn't do anything. No, instead, make your plans and move forward. And as you discover miscalculations within those plans, adjust accordingly. Leaders anticipate the future. We can't predict the future, but we can anticipate the future. And as we anticipate the future unfolding, it's our responsibility to make the plans necessary to guide our churches and ministry organizations toward a preferred future, the best intentional 
future that we can achieve. The future is going to be shaped by leaders who are willing to bushwhack their way through the tangled mess of 2020 and move toward a more productive future next year. I know you can do it. I know you will do it. Use these diagnostic questions as a tool to help you along the way as you lead on.